You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. Knowing that I was a, a role in changing somebody's life for the better, is a, it's a pretty good feeling. I kind of just fell into coaching and it's, it's giving your pain a purpose. And, you know, letting people know they're not alone, that it's okay, and that there there is light at the end of the tunnel if you just keep walking. My guest today is named Justin Bryan. He has a little over two years of recovery. He has struggled with mental health and suicide, and he is a motivational speaker and coach. Welcome to the show, Justin. Hey, thanks for uh, having me, Brett. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, that two years is, you know, it, it feels good. I never thought I would uh, get that far, to be honest. But uh, here I am and feeling a lot better. That's awesome, man. I'd love to kind of dive in and kind of get your backstory and how you got to where you are today. What what events in your life led to you deciding to to find recovery and you know, maybe talk a little bit about your mental health journey as well. Yeah, well, you know what? That was quite the journey. So I actually battled with addiction for about 16 years. Um, alcohol for about 16 and uh, cocaine. Some other drugs mixed in there for about 10. But I really battled with my mental health since I was a kid. Um, I always saw myself as less than. You know, I always compared myself to other people. I wanted to other people I wanted to be him and I never wanted to be me you know I was a little small I was smaller in high school I was kind of behind my friends in sports I hit puberty late and you know I had some good friends but I just I just didn't like who I was and that kind of transpired over into my adult life so I didn't really drink in high school like barely ever um and then when I moved away to play hockey I actually uh started drinking then and as soon as I started drinking more, I realized the the confidence, the fake confidence um, that it gave me. It made me become this person that, you know, I thought it was pretty cool. But, you know, I mean, in the end, I was drinking way too much and I was always getting the, I was the blackout drunk guy. But, you know, I would drink to change my mindset. In the beginning, I drink to become another person. But then it escalated to to change my mindset. Like I knew I was drinking to change my mindset, to get out of my head. And at uh, 24 years old, I uh, I kind of graduated, let's say, um, to drugs. So I started, when I was drinking, I would have an algorithm to what I would drink. So I would have drink this much before I'd leave my house. I would drink this much so I could go to the nightclub or at the nightclub to talk to a girl. Um, I drink this much to go on the dance floor. And then by the end of the night, you know, I don't remember the day and I'm, I wake up in my bed, but I got introduced to cocaine and I blacked out that night. Even the worst thing my buddy could have said to me the next day was, is that, wow, you were funny. That just clicked. I'm like, oh, all right. So I have alcohol now and I also have drugs. I'm not feeling good enough on alcohol. I can do drugs and be talkative so always kind of had a problem or an issue kind of carrying conversations you know i was diagnosed with adhd so i could be in a conversation but i'd be thinking too much making sure hey make sure you say the right thing hey make sure you're funny because my self-worth was still super low 
that I always wanted to, you know, when you say something, you, you want to make an impact, right? You want to make them laugh or smile. Or... So if I did cocaine, you know, I just, what are you talking of? I'd be fun. And the alcohol would be the funny side. The cocaine would give me the talkative side. So, you know, and then I go dance and have a good night. But little did I know, like, that was really destroying me on the inside. I remember walking home when I was in Vancouver, crossing the Camby Street Bridge. And earlier that day, the bartender looked at me. And so I was a bartender at the time. So we know it goes hand in hand kind of thing, right? So he looked at me and he was an ex-alcoholic. And he said, Justin, do you drink too much? I'm like, ah, no. Because I was... I'd go to work, you know, I get that bar shut down quick and I'm out for power hours, what I call it. The last hour, power half hour of the nightclub, I'm there like every single night. And so I'm walking across the bridge and I'm looking, looking up and I'm like, so I sort of ask myself, are you an alcoholic? No way. I'm too smart to be an alcoholic. Well, that turns out to be a lie, but <laughs> the lie detector tested said that is a lie. But I always correlated alcohol with you know, kind of being a low life. Like this is 12 years ago. And that's how I kind of looked at it as it was the wrong way to look at it. But it was because I didn't want to admit to myself. I knew, like I knew I was an alcoholic, but I just didn't want to admit it because then I'm different. Then I'm different than everybody else. Everyone that can go out, have fun and stop drinking. They can stop drinking that night. They don't have to drink the next morning. Little did I know though, like six months later, um, I was having a conversation with a buddy. I still remember where I was. And we we're talking about depression. And I looked at him and I'm like, you know what? Depression is an excuse. It's for the week. And I don't know why I said that. I think maybe I was trying to, you know, be a man or something. Maybe I thought that's where a man was. And I said that. So 24 years old, my biggest battles were alcohol and depression. I didn't know. And then I was correlating alcohol with being kind of a low life. And that's not me. And depression with being weak. And that's not me. So at that age, I really started to, you know, move away from those feelings and then just kept continuing to push my emotions down by coping with alcohol. And that just kind of took me down a path of, you know, um, least resistance. What can I do to feel better? I'll drink. What can I do to feel better? I'll do drugs. You know, I started losing jobs. Um, you know, I ended up having a kid. And at six months into the relationship, she ended up leaving me with her son because you know, I wasn't a, a good environment to be around. I wasn't abusive by any means or anything like that. But, you know, you don't want to raise a kid around someone unreliable like that. The thing was, though, is that I ended up crashing a car three months before he was born. And I said, OK, you know what? I'm going to go to rehab. So I went to rehab. But I went with the wrong mindset. I went to get out of town, like to get away because I was embarrassed. I mean, I just crashed a car. People knew um, it was like it was like four o'clock in the afternoon. So people saw it. It was right outside a golf course. And I live in a town of 20,000 people. I was embarrassed. I'm like, okay, I got to do this. I got to do this for him. I got to get out of town. But I, when I went there, no, I went to my classes, but I was in a house with 60 other guys who, you know, they just got their coping mechanisms taken away from them. There's a lot of testosterone. Some are out of jail. Some have been abused. Some are angry. Some are depressed. You know, it was a, it was a kind of tough house to be in because people, they didn't know how to cope. But, you know, what I tell people, 
I felt more normal there than anywhere else because there are guys just like you who are struggling. But I, I felt more comfortable in front of them than I did my friends. Because I always put people on a pedestal ahead of me. Like, you are worth more than I am. So when I was there, I kind of just, you know, I worked out twice a day. I ate a lot of food. And I went to the classes. But when, my, when I graduated or whatever, came out, my uncle picked me up. And I looked at him and I told him this. Well, I'm not done drinking forever. You just got out of rehab and that's what you're going to say? So, because I just... I was at that stage where I just want to be normal. So I was putting, besides me putting people on a pedestal, I started putting alcohol on a pedestal. Like drinking is normal. Like the people who can handle it, that makes it normal. So I always looked up to kind of alcohol, I guess I could say. So I said that and I went three months sober. My son was born and then I went off the rails again. My girlfriend had to leave. So she left. I'm devastated. I'm going down this path of destruction i had to take a couple of leave absences from work um and eventually they just said hey listen you uh you can't be working here right now you need to get help um as my mental health just kept deteriorating i ended up becoming suicidal for six years six years straight i you know i was i was scared of myself i was scared of the dark but i only wanted to be in the dark i just i never knew what i was going to do um if this today was going to be the day that i did it so I ended up becoming an organ donor. I got milk thistle from my liver and kidney flush because I was preparing my body to die. And that's, I became that on the day after my dad's birthday, on September 20th, 2018. I just said, you know what, if I'm going to do this, uh, I'm going to donate my body to someone that's deserved it. So I tried to start living healthier so I could do it. But luckily, you know, I, I started working out at the time and I started listening to these motivational speakers on YouTube and I had no idea who I was listening to. I just put it on um, and then work out. But I was listening to guys like uh, Eric Thomas, Inky Johnson, Trent Shelton, and Les Brown, uh, who I definitely know who they are now. They're like world-renowned speakers. But they started talking about uh, find your why. So I was like, okay, well, what is my why? And at that point... I was in such a bad mindset that, you know, one time I had my kid, he was three years old and I, I took him to the store to get him a bag of candy and a bag of chips because, you know, I could, my mind was racing. I didn't know how to keep it together. So we went to the store. I got him my stuff. I brought him back home. I put him in front of the TV and I picked, turned on a movie so I could distract him. Then I walked behind him and uh, I just stared at the back of his head and I started crying. Like, am I going to make, am I going to make it to teach him how to, ride a bike? Am I going to see him score his first goal? Am I going to see him graduate or even get married? And the answer was no. Like, I couldn't see myself in his future. And then another time, I drank so much, I ended up in the hospital again for the third time with IVs in me because I couldn't keep water down. My hands were going numb. And his mom brought him in and he looked at me and he looked at her and he looked at me and he looked at her and he's like, mommy, what's wrong with daddy? So at that point, I was like, this kid's better off without me. I was in such darkness that I honestly thought that if I just ended it, that, you know, my parents still understand. They're no one, they know I'm in pain. Like they can't be mad at me. It's better than, it's better living. It's better not living than living like this. I knew that, you know, he was two years old or three years old at the time. Uh, he won't remember me. So I'll be fine. He'll be fine. 
Uh, my ex at the time is she's beautiful. She's smart. She's intelligent. She'll find a good man for him. So I got in that mindset. So when I was re- that he was better off without me because you know, he needs a father that's going to be there for him. He's going to teach him the ways of life. That's, you know, going to teach him to ride a bike, you know, just, just the little things, be there to listen to him. And when you're missing a missing time with him, cause you're hungover or because you're, you're drinking, it's, you know, he deserves better than that. So when I was trying to ask myself, what's my, why I, I couldn't find one. And I know a lot of people say, do it for yourself, but you know what? I know being in rehab, I knew some guys that they couldn't do it for themselves. So I had to find a reason. So I started looking at him and I was like, well, what if I made him my why? You know, what if I got better for him? Because I, I know I'm a good person. I know I have a big heart. You know, I, I messed up pretty much everything in my life. But what if I could turn it around for him? Well, if I could turn it around for him, I could turn it around for me. If I could turn it around for me, you know, I could, I could help other people turn it around. So with that, I'm like, okay, I'm going back to rehab. So I went back to rehab again. And best time, instead of worrying about my drinking, I, you know what? I went with my why, my anchor. So I tell people, make, find your why, make it your anchor. So I made it my anchor. And then you base your decisions around your why. Said, okay, I'm going to rehab. And then you, your why needs a how. So because the why is the belief, the how is the action. So how do I get better? So I decided to go to rehab. And I put the drinking aside and asked, why do I drink? Well, I'm depressed. Well, why am I depressed? Well, I have low self-worth, low self-esteem. I just don't love myself. And that's, I think, one of the most important things in the world to do is, is to love yourself. You got to love that person staring back at you because that's the person you're spending the rest of your life with. And so I put the drinking aside and started asking myself, why? Well, why do I feel like this? Well, I, I never learned how to love myself and I didn't learn how to cope, cope um, uh, in a healthy way. So I think one of the things I came up with and it just kind of made sense to me was that you don't choose addiction. However, you choose to stay in addiction. The hardest part of addiction is not quitting, but it's living in sobriety. So I can quit, but learning to live sober was was my hardest part. Learning how to have those conversations, learning how to play sports, like not under the influence. Like even to go to my friend's house, I would have some drinks. Like I'd crush like a little Mickey, a mini Mickey, just to go to my friend's house. And when I got uncomfortable there, I'd have some more shots. So you sneak it in the bathroom and you shouldn't have to do that around your friends. So I put everything aside and, you know, I learned how to cope healthy. Um, and so I got out of rehab again, but I, I three months later, I, I slipped and I become very suicidal. And I finally hospitalized myself on January 4th, 2019. And that was a day I, uh, I had my mom to my left. And my no, my dad to my left, my mom in front of me, and a counselor to the right. And I finally admitted out loud that I had a plan. And that plan was to end it. And ever since then, I, uh, you know, I committed to my appointments. I committed to getting better. I committed to journaling and doing gratitude, and you know, taking medication. Like I've been to over 100 doctor's appointments. I've spent 77 days in rehab, 45 addiction appointments, 10 psychiatrists, 10 psychologists. Tried eight different meds, but I found that one why. Um, and I just started doing everything I could to stay sober and be sober. And now I'm back together with my girlfriend and his mother. Um, we actually have another one on the way and I got his first puck cause I got to coach him in hockey and got to see his first goal. Wow. 
That's amazing, man. That's like something out of a movie back together with your with your ex with the with your son's mom. Got to coach his hockey team. Man, that's that's incredible, man. That's I think that's just a hope shot for people that are listening that recovery is possible that just because we're struggling right now doesn't mean that we're going to be in that place forever. We just have to find that motivation, that why and then take those actions to to further to get us out of that that spot that we're in that's that's awesome man yeah thank you and you know what it's you find that that why that's it's gonna give you the motivation inspiration to do what you do i actually have an alarm on my phone that says what's my why um so when it comes up at two o'clock because you know at two o'clock rolls around i'm getting a little bit tired you know the day's dragging on and and what's my why now my why was my kid that was to get better now my why is people is to inspire and encourage people to live their best lives and so that's my why now is to help other people and it's the power of why it's it's pretty crazy you know it's just one word is why so i used why to get better but then i started asking why you know why why do you feel like that and then it's it's answering those tough questions because, you know, nobody wants to answer those questions. Well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll think about that later. I'll figure that out later, right? So why don't you feel good? Well, I'm depressed. Well, why are you depressed? And then you just break it down. And then once you break it down to the bottom, you figure out the how. How am I going to get better? Well, like exercise, diet. And, um, and But the biggest thing I found was when you're feeling like that, you talk about it. You phone up a friend. You phone up a counselor. You make the appointment. You do it. You know what? Yeah. I pretty much did everything I could. Everything, podcasts, journaling, reading, writing, gratitude, diet, exercise, you know, doctors, um, talking to friends. It's about taking baby steps at the beginning. Don't just do it all at once because that can, it can be overwhelming. But when you think about it, it, it seems it might seem hard to do all that kind of stuff, but it is really just it's, it is little steps like make the first phone call. Just make the one call. Do your first intake, you know, go to your first appointment. Now, I know I actually, I didn't like going for an hour. So I made them a half an hour. I'm like, listen, I'll come, but I only want them to be half an hour. That's what I'm comfortable with. And then eventually they became an hour. Because when I was in my f- first stages of recovery, when I was in that room, I didn't want to be there. I, you know what? I was like, they're paid to be there. Um, they, they're not really there for me. But then I realized like, I was in such a, Bad mindset, you know, just negatives. They obviously want to be there. They paid to go to school so they could be there to help people, right? Um, I couldn't make eye contact with the person, my counselor. I couldn't look at her. Like, I just kept looking down and I'm all twitchy and just didn't want to be there. Then I started to open up and it's trusting. And, you know, it's you got to trust them. I know it might be hard because you have a hard time trusting yourself. Like as an addict, I mean, one of the biggest things I was doing was I couldn't trust myself. I couldn't trust myself to have just one. I couldn't trust myself to be around alcohol. I couldn't trust myself to do the things that I was going to say because I, how many times, oh, I'm going to be sober. I'm going to stay sober. How many times did I say that? And, you know, when you can't build that trust, when you don't have that trust with yourself, it's harder to keep trust with other people. But you got to start trusting kind of like the system. And I love the pr- the point that you brought up about reaching out, about making that phone call. I think that's one of the biggest things 
at least that I've experienced with battling an addiction is reaching out for help, man, not trying to fight that alone, finding that support, finding people that can help encourage and, and sometimes just listen to what's going on, man. So I think that's a huge point. I love that you brought that up. I think, man, that's, that's one of the keys to me in my mind is, is that connection with others. Yeah, for sure. And you know what? It's, (laughs) I don't know many people that want to say, Hey, I don't have it figured out. <laughs> Can you help me? <laughs> I don't know many people that want to do that, right? But it, I mean, it, it does help because there are people that are willing to help you. And you know, and I, I'm doing this other life coaching course um, by Kim Summers Egglesley, and it says she says, "Hang out with people that sue you, support, uplift, and encourage you." Like there are people that can, are there to lend in here, and you know, and in the beginning. I would get kind of down because I'd want to talk. When I started to talk about it, I want to talk about it with my friends. Cause I was, you know, I was searching for answers in everybody, which it's not fair to them. I just wanted to know what's wrong with me when I really wasn't looking deep inside or trusting what my counselor was saying. So a lot of guys wouldn't want to talk to me about it. And I was getting a little discouraged, but I realized, you know what, don't take it personally because you're going to have those friends. You can talk sports with, you can have those friends. You talk work, talk life, talk family and talk mental health. So if you can't, if you can, if you have that friend, find that friend that's willing just to talk mental health with you, you know, don't, and don't be discouraged if there are some people that, you know, they're just not comfortable with it. Cause a lot of people, they don't understand it. They don't understand the effects of mental health. And there is, there still is a stigma around mental health thinking, you know what, that person's not okay. So they must, you know, they must not be okay because people don't understand it people don't know is that you know what one out of every 10 people in this world have a mental health illness some sort of mental health illness whether it's depression anxiety bipolar um anything along those lines but one out of five people will have a mental health episode so out of 7.8 billion people or 7.6 there's one in every 10 so 760 780 million people so it's it's realizing you're not alone. It is okay. Uh, it's going to be hard, but you you know you there is a way out. But you got to believe that there's a way out. That's awesome, man. So you you're back with your your girlfriend. You're back in your life with your your son's mom. You got a another baby on the way. Coaching hockey. What else are you doing today? What does your life look like? What what are some of the benefits that you have found of being sober and working towards, you know, being aware of your mental health and, and working towards bettering your life? What does it look like? Well, you know what I think the biggest thing is now I get to help other people. Uh, I get so many people are reaching out saying thank you or because I, I like to put out content um, on my social medias, just engaging, um, motivational, inspirational, educational. And you know what? Uh Coaching, you know, I never, never would have guessed in my life that I'd become a life coach. So I, I got a, I have completed two life coaching certifications. Um, I've done two motivational speaking certifications, and now I go around speaking. I've spoken about around 500 people on mental health, addiction, and workplace wellness. I've created a coaching program called the Stronger You Project that kind of, you know, gets people to defeat their self-limiting beliefs, build up confidence kind of along those kind of lines and you know it 
knowing that I was a, a role in changing somebody's life for the better is uh, it's a pretty good feeling. I kind of just fell into coaching and it's, it's giving your pain a purpose and, you know, letting people know they're not alone, that it's okay. And that there, there is light at the end of the tunnel. If you just keep walking and I never would have guessed in high school, <laughs> I was that, you know, kid that was like high, high energy and never would have guessed that this is the life I would have lived when I didn't drink or anything. And then I had a life of darkness, 16 years of darkness. And then I'm starting to come back into the light again. But uh, it really puts it into perspective on, you know, there, there's a way out, but, and you can do good by it. That, you know, no matter what your past is, it does not define you. you no know what your experiences are, you can turn it around. You, that doesn't have to be you anymore. But it's acknowledging the fact that it happened, accepting the facts. So I also have these, this, I call it my three A's of admit, accept, and ask. So you got to admit that you have the problem. Whatever the problem is, you got to admit it. Then you got to accept it internally. Accept it, hey, this is real for me, but it's not going to define me. Then you got to ask for help. So I know I did that, but I also realized that the acceptance part is probably the biggest. Well, I mean, admitting, they're all pretty big, but you got to accept it. I would say is the biggest one because every time I got sober, three months would be like, oh, I'll just have one more. Every time I felt better, I'd stop taking my medication. So I had to go back to the acceptance part. So you got to admit the problem. I'm an alcoholic, you know, and I was depressed. I had to accept it internally. Yeah, this is, this is real. Like this, these are real problems Then I'd ask for help. But I had to remember that I accepted it. Going down that, that road and then coming out and being able to help people kind of like right away was, uh, it's a pretty good feeling. And, you know, when you get those messages saying thank you and the support and, you know, I'm in a town of 20,000. And I still serve part time. Uh, somebody walks up and says, you know, hey, you're Justin Bryant. Hey, good for you, man. Like I made a, a mental health video for Bell Let's Talk Day here in Canada. It's, it's, uh, it's for mental health and it raises money. And I made a video for that and just it exploded. It got like 10,000 views and people just walk up and say thank you. Because I got people to sit at each table in the restaurant that I work at because it's COVID. So I had to separate them. But it, it was cool because I introduced myself, what I went through, and I'm like, let me take you to your table. And then it went to each table. And one person was sitting there and they introduced themselves and they said what they were struggling with. And then I went to the next table. So it actually it turned out a lot better than I thought. But each person there had a, a different job. There was men and women and they all did different things so it showed that you know what mental health does not discriminate doesn't care of your age your race your gender what you do for a living how much money you bring in it can affect you at any certain time and affect the people that you love so i made that video and people start to recognize it and it's uh yeah, it's a pretty good feeling and you know even on that video some of the people they they're like we've i've never said this a lot before and all of a sudden they made a video on it so you know what? It got them out of their comfort zone. Very proud of the people that did it with me. And that's incredible, man. Well, we're kind of getting towards the end of the show. If you want to shout out your website or social media, or just let the listeners know how they can find you, get a hold of you. Ah, uh, well, you can follow me at Justin Bryan nineteen on Instagram. My website is www.justinbryan.com, or just Justin Bryan on Facebook. I kind of turned my personal Facebook into you know just a page, right? I uh, just. I basically put content up. That's basically it. Uh, reach out if 
and let me know if if any of this resonates with you what you if you got anything out of this and i'd love to hear from you awesome well, i really appreciate you coming on today yeah thank you very much for having me Justin, thank you so much for coming on the show today. If you guys want to find out more information about Justin and what he's working on, you can find his information in the show notes. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.